Hey everyone, the date is May 8, 2012. You are listening to Free Admission on freeadmissionfr.com and also available on iTunes. It's been a little while, but we are back today to cover a myriad of subjects, including our brief thoughts on WrestleMania 28, the recent Shakar Ring of Honor double header and Extreme Rules weekend, as well as this coming weekend's Evolve and Ring of Honor I pay-per-views, which is an absolutely incredibly loaded weekend. I am Ben Turpin, joined on the line at this time by J.P. Nichols. J.P., how's it going, man? Doing okay. Doing okay. It's been a while. I mean, it's been like it has a, been a little while. Very, very long, productive month, to say the least. Yeah, yeah certainly in terms of attending wrestling events. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I think probably, I mean, by the end of April, I mean, if you, even if you include, like, the three or four shows that took place on the 29th to 31st, Probably right. made it to about 10 to 15 shows in the span of a month. <laughs> and we can talk about that ridiculous streak that you went on when, uh, with the Shakara, Ring of Honor, Extreme Rules, and then the days that followed. But uh, firstly, seeing as this is, again, it's been a little while, uh, the first time we've been back on audio since our Mania previews, which was in late March, JP, without completely breaking down the weekend, seeing as it has been, again, five to six weeks since, mind you, we will probably break it down anyways, but uh, overall impressions, and I know this is a loaded question, but overall impressions and thoughts on WrestleMania 28 weekend? Well, I feel like um, back then, it was I almost feel like saying back then because it feels like an eternity ago, but it, it really wasn't that long, but um, I feel like that everything that Dragon Gate presented that weekend was probably overall their strongest weekend of shows that they've done to date. Because, really, they just did a lot in terms of overall quality, especially when you consider the fact that on their Friday show, I mean, it was $2 for people to order on iPay-Per-View. And to my recollection, they still, that was their highest uh, number of viewers they've ever had. And then their Saturday show also saw a lot of people, I believe, transfer over for that. So, I mean, really, that weekend can really only be called a success for Dragon Gate USA at minimum. Uh, obviously, I was not at the Friday Ring of Honor show, right. but I've since watched it on DVD and on iPay-Per-View, and I was actually pleasantly surprised to say that I really enjoyed that show. I mean, like, the top three matches especially really delivered all very something very different as well in terms of Storm and Bennett, you know, was like a very much of a, you know, young up and comer versus uh older veteran and it really helped put Bennett over and actually very excited to see the rematch this weekend, but we'll get into that later. Um Cena Generico was very awesome and probably just a notch below their Steenwolf match they had it and even the three way delivered some goods. And then, of course, on night two, while not the strongest of Ring of Honor shows, uh, that main event uh, speaks for itself. And I really feel like with everything going against that Ring of Honor Saturday show, they pulled out the match of the weekend, which just kind of makes it a weird weekend altogether. And I felt like the Friday show was good. I feel like it's kind of being overrated a little bit. I know a lot of people that have seen every show that weekend are kind of calling it like the show of the weekend, and I thought it was like probably third or fourth, probably tied for third with WrestleMania. I think both the Dragon Gate USA shows just really blew it out of the water in terms of the Miami Beach shows. Now, the Hollywood show, uh, we were both, and in, in, I guess Elgin and Davey, we can talk a little more about, uh, a little bit more about uh, the live experience for this uh, was something else. But then, of course, the way it, Elgin and Davey, the live experience was something else. But uh, it really translated as well to uh, the DVD or what now is the edited DVD version. Mm-hmm. I've ended up watching the match like, three or four times, actually, since it took place. I mean, and I really feel like... It's sort of like Davey Tyler to me from Death Before Dishonor 8 in the sense of it's one of those matches that really benefits a lot more from watching it live. I I mean, not whether it just be live in attendance or even li- or just also live on iPay-Per-View, just because there was so much drama in that match, and that's really why... Well, still call it to this day like the best match Ring of Honor's put on in about nearly two years. It was just really the type of match that made me fall in love with what Ring of Honor really puts forth in terms of saying that they have the best wrestling in the world. Like it was the type of match that um, I came to expect out of Brian Danielson's and Nigel McGuinness's title reigns in terms of, or even Morishima's to an extent, where I could just almost see a complete random challenge them as champion, and I completely know that they are not going to take the title, 
But through the way the match was worked, it made me believe at like three or four, maybe even five times offhand, that Elgin could have won the title there, and I would have been completely okay with it. And I think the point I was really trying to make when I was talking about like everything going against that Saturday show, I mean, that could have been like, I don't want to say it was any sort of nail in the coffin, but like in terms of the brownout, some of the way that the matches worked out because of the brownout, you know, Steen and Edwards had to go home early. The undercards on both shows, which is something I've been highly critical of Ring of Honor recently, is their undercards. And then really, and then for Elgin and Davey to pull out this match with all of that going against them, and for them to create now, I think hopefully what will be an incredible amount of momentum for Ring of Honor going into this Border War show, and we'll see how that works out uh, and how they follow up, because I think that's the most important thing is how they do follow up. But I think it was a momentum maker for Ring of Honor, and I think it, and I probably would have said this before this match, but especially now with the match, I think Davey's title run has a lot left. Again, I would have said this before just because, frankly, they haven't done anything with him. But now it's kind of too bad that he might actually lose to Steen because I think, again, this created momentum. And I actually still think there's a lot for Davey to do as champion because they wasted so much damn time. And he'll have held about how long? Come May? Ten months? And he defended against how many guys? Three or four? Essentially. I mean, he's had, like, one defense over Generico. uh, Essentially now a couple over both Eddie and Roderick, respectively. I mean, lethal twice. I mean, this is just talking Ring of Honor, of course, not even... uh, elsewhere, but in Strictly Ring of Honor, it's been pretty much restricted to those guys. Why exactly do you think Elgin and Davey worked? I mean, obviously, that day, I think it had the perfect crowd for it, and I still feel like it was very much like every Dave Richards match, but just something... Like, I think because of Elgin presenting a different type of opponent, they could... You know, him obviously being his stature, it presented a different type of opponent. So they were kind of forced to book kind of a different match, even though it was every Davey's match, every Davey match, I should say. And I think they really benefited from that, and that ultimately made it not every other Davy Richards title defense. I'd say it was a factor into the... Well, one of the main complaints about all of Davy's Ring of Honor title defenses is that the matches have gone too long. Right. And if I'm correct offhand, this went about 25 minutes, which to me... It, well, for one, I would want to say, besides that triple threat the night before, it's probably the shortest uh, title defense uh, Davy has had up to this point. Other than but, the TV match, which would have been sub, you know, 20 minutes, of course. Right. So, to me, it's like, that was like the perfect amount of time, and then it was also the perfect opponent in the sense of, Elegant has been someone that, obviously, not just in this podcast, but across, really, the internet wrestling community, has been portrayed as someone who can really be someone special if they take the opportunity with him. And unfortunately, I mean, well, you can say unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, he has not really had the opportunity to really just break out and have a type of match of this magnitude. So in the sense of um, Elgin, where his stance has been, in fact, him not being, (laughs) it's sort of confusing to say, it's like him not being utilized so much made this match even better because of the fact that everything that he did was just so mind-blowing to not only my... Caught everybody off guard, I think. Yes, His offense just, like, was incredible. Because we'd never seen him do any of that. And I think one of the big points, and sorry to cut you off, I think one of the big points in this match, and it was so early in the match that it ultimately ended up being irrelevant, was the senton that he did. And he's done that how many times in Ring of Honor, and he's never hit it. And I was like, that was like before, you know, the last stretch, and I was popping huge for that, and I was like, okay, shit's on in this match, because he just hit that for the first time, and that was obviously well before, you know, the match gained any sort of steam. I mean, it was just, like, the perfect opportunity, and then I would also, uh, I would say, actually, you know, I'm not trying to say that this Ring of Honor show was, like, uh, up until then, I would say it was probably an very underwhelming show. So in a sense, it was sort of just like, okay, I don't even know if it's like, if the Ring of Honor show had been a bit better, if this match would have been as awesome as it was in some capacity. It's sort of hard to look at. I mean, but I don't want to discredit the match though, because really everything about it to me was perfect. And the only thing that I question now is just sort of the way that they're following it up. That's the most important thing, is always how you follow something up. So, Steen wins at Border Wars, that'll be great, but how will they follow up with it? Right, right, because it's like, essentially now on the 
two of the last three iPay-per-views, you've essentially had two main stars created, and Adam Cole and Michael Elgin both for different reasons. One, Cole, because obviously he pinned the champion, and now Elgin, he had a star-making performance against the champion, which really... You know, and it's like, but beyond that, it sort of felt like both of them, uh, it's been kind of like just sort of idling around, so to speak, even though yeah. Cole just got a title shot in Dayton. They're just, it seems that they're very inconsistent with that. And I mean, then you look at a guy like Kyle O'Reilly, who got a win over Adam Cole on technically the last I pay-per-view, and he's not even booked for this show. Yep. Uh, and, and in terms of booking inconsistency, when you look at like, the big matches, like in, in terms of how the crowd responds, you know, the point you were making in terms of like that show kind of being un- uh, underwhelming. So then the crowd really delivered in the main event because, you know, they were like waiting for to get into something. I think that's just like, it's so like, you never know how the crowd's going to react. That's why even like you take any match from Final Battle, like Eddie and Davey or World's Greatest Tag Team members goes, like you kind of have a feeling about how that match is going to be or that a lot's going against it. Or look at the 10th anniversary tag main event. I felt like there was a lot going against that match. But on any given night, you don't know how the crowd's going to respond. And that's why exactly. we're into booking intricates in terms of like pacing and structuring and like when you don't give the undercard shit and then the main event gets like triple the time of everything else. You know, because that seems to be like the general theory for Ring of Honor in general when on a lot of these shows and it just doesn't seem to work out. And then when you put all the steam into the main event, you know, for 40 minutes, like 10th anniversary, the show kind of falls flat when that match falls flat. Um, and just in this case, I think, and I'm not sure if that was the intention. I mean, it feels like it is with a lot of the, with a lot of their shows in terms of how they book them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just the perfect crowd for that match. And again, you know, Adam Cole and Elgin will be meeting on this next pay-per-view, which is a good match to book. I mean, obviously you have, you know, as you said, you know, coming off the tag win, and then obviously the Davy match. I mean, I think it's a very good match to book, but uh, so at least somebody's going to kind of take that next step while somebody else, I guess, is going to continue to flounder, like everybody else on the undercard. I mean, it was just sort of weird, that show, otherwise, besides the main event, just because it was like every finish just sort of felt out of whack. I, uh, it was there's a lot of teeny going on, a lot of roll-ups. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Which, uh, not a big fan <laughs> of roll-ups. I don't know if I've ever made that clear on the show, but yes, definitely not a fan of roll-ups. And then, of course, with the brownout, that kind of ruined Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. And Ian and Edwards had to go home early. I was going to say, and ruined Ring of Honor and Go Fight Live's relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Which which has been kind of an identity in itself amongst uh, a certain community on the Internet in terms of Ring of Honor finally announcing that they will be doing pay-per-views on their own website, and I guess it would have been, what, just over nine days out when they announced it? Eight days? Basically, I want to say they announced it last Thursday. So, yeah, last yeah, Thursday. There we go. so, yeah nine yeah. days. Yep. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it works with them, but I suppose we'll get into that a bit later. Uh, yeah, but, and, then, uh, and then one other show that I want to talk about on that weekend, which is probably a show that hasn't been talked about because there weren't a lot of people in attendance and obviously it wasn't on iPay-Per-View was the Thursday Dragon Gate USA show. And I'll be the first to say that, again, I don't want people to take this. I was take this the wrong way. I mean, I kind of understand again that it was the first show in a triple shot, um, which means it's going to be basic. And even though I feel like I can alleviate my expectations for that, I still feel like I came into the show with too high of expectations and I thought everything was good, but just like, on paper, I thought there was like two or three matches on that show alone that could have stole the weekend. So I easily, obviously, could have thought that it could have stole the weekend, the show overall. But uh, ultimately, I don't think it came anywhere near that. No, no unfortunately not. But it, I would still say it was a fun show. I mean, it was like, well, I mean, to put it clearly, it was like a Dragon Gate house show. I mean, which is what it was, just calling it what it is. I mean, but like... We had a few matches on there that both were like, were like very good, but did not reach the point that I anticipated. I mean, Low Key and Bobby Fish would be one. Uh, Ricochet and Cruz, I actually liked a lot personally. Um, you had the, actually the surprise of the weekend in the sense that it's actually it's sort of sad that it's not even being talked about in that uh, Samurai Del Sol pinning Yoshino, which really uh, led to his coming out party throughout the whole weekend, and now is carried over farther into Dragon Gate. Um, you also had, uh, Seema Mochizuki being the scene, uh, Pac and Fox, which was really probably the match of the whole show. And then, uh, unfortunately in the main event, you had Uha Nation, uh, 
injuring his knee, but that match was uh, otherwise very fun show, very fun match. I feel like, you know, you talk about the UHA Nation injury. I feel like there was two instances of that, even in the Del Sol-Yoshino match when Del Sol face painted. Like, it wasn't in front of us. It was on the other side of the ring, but he took a pretty scary uh, dive, like, right into the wood floor, and it kind of took the crowd out of the match. And mm-hmm. Cruz and Ricochet, I feel like, was perfectly fine and competent. I just wish Cruz would have got more. That's all. Yep. It was a good match. You know, that goes yep. without saying. Everything on this show was good. I think what surprised me more than anything on this show was the scene in Mochizuki and Sima, just because I never expected that the scene would get that much offense in. And then I think Pac and Fox is going to be a match I enjoyed more on DVD. I actually thought it was really good thinking back on it. And the three-way tag, I feel like, was really good to start, but as soon as Uha's injury occurred, unfortunately, like, it killed the heat for the match. And then one thing that I hate about these types of matches and I wish they would have focused more on is that there's so many things going on around the ring. Uh, you know, when they, they were like when Pinky Sanchez got eliminated and you heard, you know, uh, Lenny Leonard announced that uh, Pinky Sanchez has been, or DUF has been eliminated from the match. Like there were two separate brawls going on. So like nobody was paying attention to that. And then there was another instance when Gargano and Tazawa were having a face-off exchange, which was pretty heated. And mm-hmm. Like, there were two brawls going on. So it kind of distracted from the main action, but I guess that's to be expected in that type of match. But it was still a good match. And on DVD, it'll probably be easy to watch, especially the Dragon Gate USA portion. I mean, it'll probably be over in, what, two hours? And then, of course, yeah, you have probably. matches. Probably. Which was something that I had never experienced. So, And it also has to be mentioned, uh, out of all the venues I've been to for Dragon Gate USA shows, oh. this particular venue was awesome, and it just makes me really sad that they likely will never go back because you know, I don't think uh, wrestling will ever be in that venue again, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it was really truthfully an equivalent of uh, the American Legion Hall in Rosita, California, in terms of size and just in terms of the way that the noise translated. It was really just a perfect venue uh, for wrestling, which was, it was it just over-delivered much more than yeah, And I will say that it's certainly a show that uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing back on DVD. And the one match that I didn't mention was Loki and Bobby Fish, and we'll talk a little bit about Loki later when we talk about the Evolve I pay-per-views. But uh, in terms of WrestleMania weekend, I mean, certainly delivered. I think everybody tried to bring put their best foot forward. Uh, WrestleMania itself, uh, I guess you could talk a little bit about that, and then we'll move on. Well, I, well I, I mean, I just stand by this quote to this uh, to this day, a month later, and that first hour was very weak, but right. the last three hours, which were essentially three matches, uh, really carried the show to a very much of a thumbs up. I mean, because really, I mean, at least I know some people have said to me that they were not nuts about Taker and Triple H, but I was nuts about it live, and I watched it again on tape, and then I was even more uh, more ecstatic over it then. Right. I I really liked Punk and Jericho a whole lot. I thought Rock and Cena completely met and even to an extent it surpassed expectations. So really when the three main matches that I or three I should say three out of the four main matches that I care about deliver or over deliver, I would say that that shows a success. Yeah, yeah, and you can't really complain when that is the case. And I feel like of course it started off on a very sour note and the first hour was wretched, but I feel like if Danielson and Sheamus, like, if they had just gotten, like, seven minutes, I feel like I would have said this was a great show because I feel that even if they got four and a half minutes, if it was mm-hmm. just, like, a total four and a half minute sprint, it w- I would have felt completely differently about the show. Uh, I Actually, with Undertaker and Triple H, I wasn't very fond of it live. Those matches don't do a whole lot for me live. I thought there was a lot of pauses in the action, which is understandable, certainly, but it's not something that I'm necessarily going to get excited for live. But when I watched right. it back on tape, it was way better. And was certainly like the match of the show, I thought. And, and live, I thought Jericho and Punk was. Mind you, I still obviously really, really like that match. And then uh, in, uh, Rock and Cena, I feel like I, I, I don't blame them for going 31 minutes. I, I still feel like it was a little too long, and I feel like there was parts of the match that could have got cut out. And one thing that I will say that I don't think I've heard a lot of people comment on is that for a match that's so big and so highly touted for, you know, like a year now, they've known that this match was going to happen. I never quite felt they were on the same page in the match. Like, they hit stuff solidly enough, and they, like, got the point across. But, like, there were just some spots that were, like, so ugly. And it was like, wow, that should have been done so much better. But it didn't really take away from the match. And obviously, as the match goes on, you can write that into the story of the match. So it makes a lot of sense. But it certainly delivered to 
the expectation. I thought the crowd was good. I don't think I don't think the WWE will ever figure out how to pace WrestleMania, at least to get the optimal response out of the most important matches. They didn't do it again here, and I still think that the Hell in the Cell ruined the last two matches. Or not ruined, but in terms of getting that optimal response, they certainly didn't do them any favors. Right, right. Well, it's sort of it's sort of one of those things where I mean, even going into the show, we were discuss- I mean, I've discussed with you and a lot of other people. It's just how exactly do you pace this show? I mean, because those uh, top three matches were so huge, where it's just like you know one of them is going to end up in that dead zone spot. In this case, Punk and Jericho. But even then, despite being in that spot, they still were able to get the crowd into it by the end of the match. So yeah, I, I just. Ultimately, with the way that they booked it, I think something could have benefited from being in the first hour. But yeah, you know, in in a common sense type of way, in terms of pacing and building the show to the more important matches, they accomplished mm-hmm. that. But again, that's not going to get your optimal response out of the more yeah. important matches. Which I mean, is something to be considered at WrestleMania because you know it is the one time a year. So I think that's when you can take the different approach. Right. In fact, it's sort of funny because it's like I've mentioned to a couple people as well. Uh, I mean, really, the only complaint that I could say, and now one of which has been sort of nullified due to extreme rules uh, over a little while for a week ago, was, uh, of course, Brian and Sheamus, which they could have had a match that was more WrestleMania caliber. But actually, also, I just wish that Mysterio and Sin Cara could have happened to Mania. That was one thing that... Even coming out of Atlanta last year when uh, Sin Cara was first around, I was like, oh, wow, this is like a match that I personally am like so excited to see next year at Mania. And then, of course, both of them got injured. So well, it, it certainly would have been a lot better than uh, Kane on the, uh, in the first hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even then, you know, as much as uh, we like to be anti-Kane here. I've been nice to Kane in terms of the way that he performed there and then against Orton on SmackDown two days later. And then, of course, it's uh, a little over a week ago. But with that yeah. said, now that he's not facing Orton and who knows what he's going to do, I think that the meanness towards Kane will return. He hasn't been really doing anything, which is probably best case, I think. Yeah, I would say. I don't know what he's doing on SmackDown now that Orton's in the title picture for Over the Limit, and we'll talk about that match in particular, which I'm really excited for. But yeah, Kane is like, I don't know. I don't watch SmackDown, so but it doesn't seem like he's doing anything now that uh, Orton's kind of in the title picture. I guess all of a sudden. And it does own spot yet again. <laughs> Shocking. Well, yes. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, and I know we spent like way too much time on WrestleMania, but whatever. Uh, you were in attendance. In Chicago Ridge, Illinois, this couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, 10 days ago, something like that, um, for the Chicago Ring of Honor doubleheader at the Frontier Fieldhouse, and then you attended Extreme Rules the next day, which I did see, so we can talk about that. But first, you talk about uh, the two shows that you attended again in Chicago Ridge, uh, which looked to be two good shows. I would say so, personally. Um, I actually stunned uh, to say that going into the show, I actually had a higher anticipation for the Chikara show, just simply due to the fact that there were, I mean, the top two matches especially had me really excited, and Eddie Kingston versus Kevin Steen for the Chikara Grand Championship, and El Generico and Sarah Del Rey. But I really sort of feel like that show just did not deliver to the anticipation that I had for it. Not to say that it was a bad show, but I feel like some matches could have been stronger, and I know that the show is already out on Smartmark Video via their on-demand service. So, uh, of course, Cheap Plug can head over there and check it out for $10, I want to say, which is really a steal. It's $11.99. But, um, oh, what's that? 11 99 I think, oh. is the new price for the MP4s. Yeah, I mean, which is really not bad at all, honestly. Yeah. Um, but, like, uh, the show, I mean, I've been to, obviously, you know, when it comes to Chikara shows, I've only been to, I would say, two non-super shows and the fact that I've been to three King of Trios, so there's sort of like a level of anticipation when it comes to Chikara shows that I attend, and both non-super shows were both also very good, one being Tragedy and Triumph and the other being the Manhattan show in September of 2011 last year. But this show, I just sort of feel like it didn't really hit uh, all the nails on the head that it probably could have. Uh, the the uh, deviant, uh, well, I should say the um, colony match uh, was a good match. I was not entirely nuts about the mixed martial arts character that was presented. I 
just sort way too much of a fan of Archibald Peck uh, as Marchie Archie to really be entirely into him. But I'll I'll see where it goes uh, shortly from here. Uh, what else happened on that show? Like shortly after it was. Um, oh, I actually did very much so enjoy uh, the. Uh, Excuse me, uh, Aaron, uh, Eric Cannon and Jaron Corbin versus the Bucks, but the Bucks seemed a bit off to me for some reason. I mean, just simply from the fact that I guess they were sick actually when they flew over. But the Atomico Sync Preyblaze match, which was uh, the uh, Hollow Wicked and Ultramantis and 3.0 versus uh, the Bravados and uh, Donston Hammerwire. I also expected to be a bit more wacky, but didn't quite reach that. Cena and Kingston, though, I thought was a lot of fun, and it perfectly set up a rematch down the road, which I'm sort of anticipating potentially for Ring of Honor Best in the World, but that remains to be seen, of course, depending on how Border Wars turns out this Saturday. And Del Rey and Generico, I, I really do not want to hate, like be negative Nancy towards this match, but... I just really feel like it did not hit the level of hype that I had for it going into it. It went about 14 minutes or so, and it was a very good match, but it's sort of like how I felt uh, towards Pac and Loki on the Friday Dragon Gage, which actually went t uh, 10 minutes longer than that, but it was sort of towards the feeling of, I, okay, they're starting to really get to that point where it's just going to be like a bunch of action, a bunch of near falls, etc., and it didn't quite hit that. It just sort of ended out of nowhere. But I, I sort of felt like it was just due to the fact that because of how insane it got towards the Ring of Honor show with the tag match, that was bound to happen. Which uh, the Ring of Honor show ended up actually over-delivering from what I anticipated. Actually, one, uh, one team uh, that I know you're a big fan of, Ben, that I thought were unanimously better than from when I last saw them, the Bravados. Absolutely. That that should be, look. I want to say this, and I guess I am the third bravado. Uh, we we are aware, but um, that uh, I don't know what it is about Japan. These guys go to Japan, whether it's a month, and it's something that I wanted to say about AR Fox later when we talk about evolve. But the bravados go for three months, and supposedly they come back and they're like completely new guys. So that's awesome to hear. Mm -hmm. And they won. They beat the young bucks. So I'm sure they're primed for a Briscoe's feud for the tag titles. Yep. Uh, if we can only hope. Um, that show actually opened with uh, All Night Express beating uh, House of Truth. I mean, when they pinned Elgin, which sort of shocked me, honestly, because, like, I mean, Greg Roddy is the TV champion, but I just, you know, you, you think Elgin would be, you know, in a higher stance than that, but it, it's sort of playing into, I suppose, the dissension between Elgin and Strong, so it's bound to happen. Uh, Bennett and Mike Seidel was what it was. I do not really think there's a wrestler, uh, an active wrestler with worse tattoos than Mike Seidel. At least Icarus's server purpose. <laughs> I just saw it say that much. I completely agree. Uh, yep. Bravados um, uh, and Bucks, I thought, was really, really enjoyable. Um, the Whitmer tag, uh, Whitmer and Generico versus Steen and uh, Jacobs, I thought was also awesome. Uh, particularly is had a very... Match, if he wins the title, is every Steen match going to be no DQ or no holds barred? I would, I would sort of want to say yes to an extent, just because. Well, you want like, you want to say yes, or I mean, you think? I, I think yes, yes. I, just simply for the fact that uh, you know it's uh, Steen's conquest of uh, taking over Ring of Honor, so everything should be his rules, you would think. So unless uh, Cornette decides to lay down the law on that. In fact, although it was actually Cornette that actually made this match no DQ, so. <laughs> and, and wasn't there like uh, didn't they do some weird setup where there was like some texting going on? Because Cornette was actually there, right? It was that uh, Cornette was actually not in attendance, at least to my knowledge. And they, uh, C and Jacobs were trying to do all they could to make the match no DQ, and even Generico and Whitmer wanted it. And Todd Sinclair was saying no. And Paul Turner came out with his cell phone where he was on the phone with Jim Cornette, and Cornette wanted to lay down the law and say that it was going to be no DQ. So <laughs> it was a sort of wacky setup, but I suppose you got to so do what you got to do. Even not there, his presence is felt in some manner. Exactly. <laughs> so. Even if it's not in the booking of the show itself, but anyways. 
Yeah, I, I was actually just stunned for the fact that BJ Woodmer actually picked up the win for the match. He actually pinned Jacobs with a top rope exploder through a table, which was particularly devastating to watch. Um, and then, and then out following that, we had the big Chikara Ring of Honor six-man tag with the Colony winning, which I thought was very well done. Uh, world's greatest tag team beat Kyle and Davey, which was a match that actually I thought ended up delivering more than it should have, but it probably went a bit too long just for the fact that there was like a bit of a stretch where World's Greatest Tag Team were really working over Davey for a very long time until Kyle made the tag. But with that said, up to uh, standards with why World's Greatest Tag Team typically sets out, I thought it delivered. And then Briscoes versus Jigsaw and Hell Wicked was a, another very good match. I mean, which just with a really peculiar ending. I mean, has Martin Briscoe really made the elbow drop an established finisher? I don't think so. I think he's won, like, one other match with it. So I think that caught a lot of people off guard. Yeah. Did you see the first match? Uh, uh, What's that? Did you see the first match, the Proving Ground match, to lead to this one? Uh, I did, but it's been, you know, a good, like, month or so now. And just because, you know, lots of wrestling that I've attended, so everything sort of blended together. But, uh... I do remember it being enjoyable, but I feel like this one was a superior match. Well, and and Mark Briscoe winning the elbow dr- with the elbow drop is just kind of reminiscent of this Briscoe's run, in my opinion. Like the last look, and here's what I say: I feel it's great that the Briscoes don't have to do anything to be effective, just because they're that over. But I feel like, in terms of their matches, have just like completely underwhelmed across the board the last like year. Honestly, other than like the ANX, like the the ANX match, obviously in Atlanta, which I was hugely high on. The first blood match was okay from that they did in Michigan. Obviously, the ladder match, but then other than that, what have the Briscoes, you know, really brought to the table? You know, well, obviously, I mean, again, character and you know they're massively over. But in terms of their matches, producing like quality matches that I would want to see again, I, it's just not there. Well, and I feel like a lot of it's booking, but. I was going to say, to be honest, their matches mainly have been, besides that, with World's Greatest Tag Team. That's, this is true, too. And, and the, the one match that I think sticks out for me, because it was kind of billed as, and arguably it's for the tag title, tag title, so it's arguably the most important match on that show, but the 10th anniversary with the Young Bucks, where they get 13 and a half minutes with the Young Bucks, and it's kind of a showcase match. You know, it was like 60-40 Briscoes. And the Bucks never felt like a threat, and that's just not good. You know, and I yeah. feel like, unless it's Haas and Benjamin, that's a very old-school mentality where only, like, one or two teams. It's like the Caprice Coleman and Cedric Alexander match from Virginia, which I, I understand that was supposed to be A and X and, and Briscoe's originally for the belts. Like, it was, a, it was a squash for the tag titles on a house show, which I understand it's a house show, but why not give... There's so many things you could have accomplished for that match. Instead, it was just another Briscoe showcase match to build to the next Haas and Benjamin match that nobody wanted to see eight months ago, let alone yeah. this Saturday again, you know, or the three other previous times that it's happened. I will say, though, in terms of uh, the Briscoe's fan base, because Ring of Honor did a meet and read before the show where fans could take, uh, uh, could at least get autographs and take pictures with uh, wrestlers. I think it cost about $10 for an autograph or a picture each. The Briscoe's line lasted a very, very long time. And, that included... and, and good for them. You know, like, I think that's great. And I think it's great that they don't even have to work that. And I'm not, look, I don't want to take anything away. I'm not saying they're not working hard. They don't have to do a lot to be effective. You know? Right. right. So. It was actually very funny, though, because uh, I believe all the uh, um, signings, it was uh, Davey, Roderick, Briscoe's, Lethal, Online Express, and Maria, I want to say. And then, uh, as all of them are doing their thing, you know, taking autographs and, uh, or uh, taking pictures and signing autographs, I should say, uh, Steen ran up out of nowhere and was just like, you know, oh, I'm going to do this for free <laughs> and set up his own table. And then, of course, the entire uh, attendance swarmed over to his table. So, Well, and after all, Maria is, and you know, you mentioned Maria. Maria is one of the um, most important stars in Ring of Honor now. Oh, shoot. Did you see the Best in the World banner yet? Uh, I did not, actually. It showcased with Davey in the middle, Fit Finley on the left, and Marie on the right. <laughs> well, I will say, at least, uh, I just saw that. Uh, this is my really my first time, I suppose, really seeing her in full effect for a match. I thought that she was awesome. Oh, she was awesome. <laughs> yeah. She's really, 
I never would have expected her to be as awesome as she has turned into. Yeah, she's awesome. really probably incredibly attractive. Not that that's too. I so should probably really, stay away from that because I've already gotten enough creeper vibes recently, I know. So. <laughs> well, I mean, well, there's no denying it. Uh, I just pulled up the banner now, actually. Wow. <laughs> yeah. so, and everybody's, of course, coming to the conclusion that uh, it's a spoiler for this Saturday. Uh, perhaps they will do Davy Maria for the title. Uh, three-way. Oh, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Although Davy and Fit Finley would be awesome, but obviously not going to happen. No. No, more, than likely not. more than likely not. But, oh, yes, but, again, you were in attendance for the doubleheader uh, for Chicago and Ring of Honor Chicago Ridge. The next day, you were in Chicago for Extreme Rules, uh, which was obviously live on pay-per-view. I've seen that event. Um, live experience for that show and overall thoughts? The All-State Arena is located in Bumfuck, Illinois. That's one thing I would like so to You didn't say. even go to Chicago. Uh, oh, actually, no, we were in Chicago we were in for Chicago. the day. Right, but it was sort of like, because we took uh, the CTA in order to get to the Allstate Arena, and it is like a good hour, hour and a half ride out on Chicago via the CTA to get there. It's in a very random location. It's like near O'Hare Airport for anyone who's ever been to Chicago. I mean, we flew into Midway, though, so we were like on the total opposite end of town in comparison to where this was. But... uh, and it was a very, I mean, I know people that have uh, been there and have told me how tiny it was, but this was like a very, very tiny building. I, I can't remember which venue in Canada Jacob also compared it to, but it was really cramped, but it was a legit sellout, unsurprisingly. And it made for a very, very awesome show, a show that I actually maybe feel ended up being a little bit, if not a good margin, better than WrestleMania, which I liked a lot. That I agree. And, I mean, obviously we got our uh, we got our payoff to uh, – or we got our real match with Danielson and Sheamus, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. What I think is unfortunate about matches like that is it was – again, I thought it was a, a really great match, is that people kind of overrate it. And I hate when matches get overrated or – they get like this tremendous hype because I don't think it was like like match of the year level down here. But like I see people throw that around and like obviously because Danielson's evolved, I'm a little more passionate about it. And I feel like anytime you kind of overrate a match, you kind of hurt it, even though it was like a really great match. I really felt that it did a lot for both guys because uh, yeah. I really am a fan of Sheamus as well. I really feel like he's one of the better big guys to have come across in wrestling in a good minute. Uh, but really, I thought it was the best uh, match for both talents. Uh, I mean, it was with Eve's uh, best match I think Sheamus has had uh, that I've ever seen. And it was certainly Brian's best WWE effort. And probably, I mean, I would even, I mean, I don't know if I would go this far, but I would certainly say it was uh, worthy of like some of his uh, better ROH title defense ma- matches in terms of overall quality. Just because I thought the storytelling in this match was just absolutely wonderful. I mean, yeah, especially the, in, in multiple like fall matches, especially two out of three falls matches, I'm always kind of iffy on how it's structured. But like here, with him attacking the arm, obviously, and staying on it was awesome, and it like played into the story perfect. And ultimately, it really like it's like probably the best use of a two out of three falls match like I've ever seen. There were a lot of little things that I just really ended up liking about it. Like, into the third fall, like, uh, whenever uh, Brian would try and kick away at Seamus' arm, Seamus would, like, turn, so it would, like, completely uh, miss his arm, and, like, just, he would take the uh, effect on his back and whatnot. There was just, like, a bunch of little things just like that that I really thought made this match really wonderful. I mean, it's just... It's just too bad, I mean, because obviously, I mean, it's not too bad for me because I was in attendance, so to speak, and for anyone that's, like, a really hardcore wrestling fan can look at this and say, wow, that was a great match, but to the mean audience that would order WrestleMania but not order a quote-unquote B-show, it's just too bad because, like, if they had this kind of match at WrestleMania, I really feel like it could have done a lot more for both guys. How do you, um, I think, and I would agree, but Certainly, one of the I think one of the only debatable things about the match is the finish. How did you feel about the finish? I thought that it was fine, really. I mean, just for the fact that because uh, Brian, I mean, he really got to look like a complete killer uh, for the right. majority of the first two falls, and it wasn't like it was uh, one of those uh, 
oh, I like to call it like a Cena finish or a Crimson finish in terms of where someone gets beaten up the whole match and hits one move and wins. I mean, but because uh, she- Sheamus has been established as being, you know, very, very powerful and uh, powerful enough to uh, take Brian out uh, with ease. So really, I mean, I just, I didn't mind it too much. And I just really felt, I mean, I would say it was probably uh, maybe even a bit better to me than Punk and Jericho at uh, Mania. I would, don't know if I'd call it for me personally uh, better than Triple H and Taker, but it was certainly not too far from that type of quality. And sorry to go back quickly to uh, the comment you made about uh, if it had helped him at WrestleMania. And obviously at WrestleMania, the yes chants were kind of already, uh, kind of already, you know, it's already creating what it has kind of become or come become in some markets. Some markets seems to be over. And then like in the case of Raw tonight, uh, they weren't responding at all in the main event. So it was very weird. But I feel like that match going 18 seconds. And look, the yes thing may have very well taken off anyways. I feel like the fact that he lost in 18 seconds could ultimately be like the best thing that ever happens to Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan. Right. Because people get behind him more and then the yes thing blows up. It may have done it anyways, but in theory, you know. Also, that's another thing I didn't even really cover on is the fact that he was, in fact, at this show. To me, he was more most overact on the show. I mean, he was more over than Punk in Punk's hometown. He was more over than Cena. He was more over than Lesnar, who really surprised me in terms of the fact that he really did not get a strong response. I thought that he would have had, like, echoing response blowing off the roof. Yeah. But, like, when I leaped up for his entrance, I felt like I was by myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost two weeks now, so like my memory of the match is kind of uh, blurred a little bit. But Sheamus and Danielson had like very kind of it, there was like no kind of defined heel or face dynamic, which kind of I don't know if it necessarily added to the match, but kind of had a weird dynamic going on there. Which uh, I don't know how you feel about that. And you were there live, obviously, so you have a better you know kind of scope of how that worked out. I I mean it, it was really I mean it was sort of split because it was like there was a good portion of the audience that was really. It wasn't so much that they were for Sheamus as they much were anti-Brian, honestly. Yeah, like, there was uh, one part, I mean, towards the very beginning of the third fall, I mean, where it was very notable in that, uh, you know, there was a large, very large portion of the crowd chanting yes, while there was a very, uh, not necessarily a small portion, but a not as large portion chanting no. <laughs> like, right. I mean, so sort of like... Uh, in a sense, Sheamus I mean, was not really the focal point of the match. It was basically uh, the Daniel Bryan show. But, like, I mean, me me personally, I mean... Especially I when they were working on Sheamus and Daniel Bryan was just in the background for, like, two straight minutes playing with the crowd. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it just really goes to show you, especially now that uh, here we are after... Uh, it, where it was one thing that I was really questioning going into the show, where it was like, you know, well, obviously Brian's going to lose to Sheamus, and then from way there, where does he go? And it goes to show you how much WWE must have faith in Brian now, because now immediately the day after, he goes from challenging one title to challenging the other one. So, you know, clearly it shows that they have some type of faith in him. Well, I feel like they want to keep him relevant, but... Uh, ultimately, I just feel like he's going to get lost in the shuffle, and then on SmackDown, he might fall into obscurity. I think the one thing that actually is going to hold him up is that they never seem to want to conclude this AJ storyline. So maybe that'll be a good thing. And then by the time that actually finishes, they'll turn him face. And I think that means like great things for him. But I don't know how yeah. far down the line that is. I mean, me personally, it's just sort of one of those things where it's like I almost don't even want to see him turn face just because everything about him right now, to me, he's like probably like top three, top two character in WWE right now. I mean, he's just like really like worlds above everyone else in terms of like just about everything that he does. What what his ring ability. Jericho and Punk in a street fight, how'd you feel about this? I, for one, did like the fact that, uh, always a plus with me when it comes to street fights is the fact that they actually wore street fight clothing. Always a very much of a plus. But I sort of feel like it was a bit better than their Mania match, and a lot of people have, like, harped on it for the fact that it was, like, sloppy at times, but it's like, you're not watching this type of match for... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for very clean technical wrestling, it's like it's a street fight. It is not meant to be clean and like completely picture perfect. But that said, uh, <laughs> much to a few people's disliking in terms of Punk's uh, now infamous elbow drop that he does in tribute to Randy Savage, both his elbow drops in this match did look rather 
Oof, inducing, but... <laughs> but that said, I thought that the match was really awesome. The only thing it does leave me questioning is just, like, with Jericho's return, it's like, he's now been back, and at the last four pay-per-views, he's lost at all of them. <laughs> like, uh, he's still going to be we, around, which I think has kind of surprised me, because I think they would have done a switch and maybe done a switch back, but he's going to be at the next show, so... It, it's really, I mean, I'm sort of glad with the fact that they did not switch just to switch it back just because of the fact sure. that Punk's uh, title reign has now been going on since the middle of November, so that's December, January, February, March, April. Uh, that's uh, We're going on six months now, which by WWE title uh, standards is a very long time, which I, I mean, really besides, I think it probably is just a little under what Miz held the title for, which is the longest one in a while. So, I mean... Incredible mind you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Especially <laughs> nowadays. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just sort of happy about it, and I'm sort of hoping that uh, with Punk and Brian, with where they go with Over the Limit, I'm sort of hoping that it turns into a bit of a Christian uh, Orton dynamic from last year in the sense of, you know, they continue to have matches with each other uh, throughout the remainder, at least throughout the summer. But I don't know if it will quite reach that type of magnitude, but I can only hope that it does. And actually, I want to talk about those matches at Over the Limit, but before we do, um, I don't think there's really anything else relevant on this show to talk about. I mean, we could reiterate some things. Like, uh, the finish to Cody Rose and Big Show was really funny. The main event? <laughs> well, yeah, of course. But, I mean, I was looking at the undercard first. Yes. I, did want to, I did want to talk about Lesnar and Tina, of course. Um, but anything right. else on the undercard that... Uh, well, I really did enjoy Kane and Orton a lot, personally, which I know is like a shocking thing to say. I mean, but I really did enjoy it quite a bit, honestly, even though I thought that the, when they went backstage and like the bit with Ryder, I felt sort of wacky. But like, really, I mean, uh, Orton just works really, really well in brawls that have been proven time and time again. And even Kane, to an extent, can be in the same exact fashion. I mean, last year, I mean, there were two matches where they were both brawls, the last man standing match with Edge, and then the uh, no-DQ match with Orton that stemmed this whole feud, essentially. I mean, so, really props to those guys. Is the best match they've had? Um, I would say so, probably. Yeah, better than this one. Yeah, I thought this probably was a good match. Yeah, but, I mean, even, even, even eliminating my, like, you know, expectation level for Kane, I thought the WrestleMania match was fine. I did think, and I... This thing. I thought it was the best match in the first hour of WrestleMania, and I think that's a huge compliment. Maybe not on that particular show, but in the bigger scheme of things. And it was a good opener here. Uh, yeah. Kind of reminded me of Punk and Orton, I guess, from last year. Didn't they have a last man standing match? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously that one was better, but I thought it was, you know, similar. Uh, and I think they brawled, you know, all over the place in that match as well. And then, of course, the main event, the Extreme Rules match, John Cena and Brock Lesnar. Uh, I think ever the, the consensus is that at least I don't know from the people that I talk to I know it's kind of a polarizing match, but it's very a very unique match uh, and and really unlike anything they've ever seen. Uh, so so in terms of like live response to this and what do you think of the match? I thought that the match was really really awesome up until the last three seconds. <laughs> like that pretty much pretty much just the way that I will describe it. Like I thought that it was like a really perfect match. Like, unlike anything, I, I really did not know what to expect coming into this match. It's like, when you think about Rock and Cena at WrestleMania, you sort of know what to expect just for the fact that it's going to be two guys, WrestleMania main event, they're going to go out there and just deliver, you know, big finisher, big near falls, etc. With this one, though, with the fact that you have essentially, at the, uh, essentially up to this point, the biggest moneymaker that WWE could have in Brock Lesnar, and his first match back in his MMA attire and whatnot versus John Cena. And, like, within the first minute of the match, you have Cena gushing blood out of the top of his head, <laughs> which is just, which really, I, I was did not want to entirely suspend the idea of there being blood in this match, but it really did catch me off guard. And just about everything that transpired after that, I thought was, like, completely, like, captivating in the sense of Lesnar just, demolished Cena unlike any other person that I've seen in a very, very long time. And especially at one of the main spot that really had me like going wild, especially, I mean, was the, the big Lesnar dive spot where I, where I watched it back on tape. And it's funny because like 
looking at it, it was very clearly, like, the bad part was him going down on his knee. But, like, from my vantage point, I thought that he went down, like, right on his head. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, wow, Vince and Laurinaitis just had a heart attack. Because <laughs> like, that was a very, very scary moment. And but like, shortly after, he stands up and plays it off like a total champ. And, like, which I was had just me- going crazy. I completely agree. I was, like, leaping up and down for that. But, I mean, unfortunately, I just, I, I really kind of grasped the why, idea. Why do you think it was so important for Lesnar to win the match? Like, what specifically? For you? I mean, because of the fact that, A, this, this, I, it's, it's to be determined at how much business this show may have done, but I really do believe that they had the idea that this show was going to bring in a lot of uh, new or maybe past viewers, which is why, like, even why they even threw like Brodus Clay and Ryback on the show in the sense of, oh, these are uh, we're gonna get new viewers, so let's introduce the our two of our top growing guys that are like you know uh, gonna be monsters to newer fans. So to me, it's like most people are ordering to see Brock, and to have Brock lose when the, everyone that was potentially ordering is paying to see him it's just uh, i personally cannot grasp the, even the thought of having him uh having him lose but i suppose when it comes to their mentality towards it it's just for the fact that they could have the mental idea that you know oh he may not be around forever so we got to get our guys over him right but you know to me it's Completely counterproductive because it's like some people like make the argument that it's like, oh well, having him go through the entire roster's predictable route, but not it, just because something is predictable does not mean that it's bad. Like I, I, I like say like just as an example, like the homicide Ring of Honor title win. Like everyone and their mother knew that a homicide was going to win, but that was like perfect storytelling in terms of setting up homicide to win the title, and I had no problem with that. And here having Brock win. And then going decimating through main eventer after main eventer, I think is perfect. But they've already ruined that idea and have already essentially taken a lot of the wind out of the sails. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly in a camp that says Lesnar should have won. Most listening to this have heard that spiel, and you kind of just talked about some of it. So I don't want to have to, you know, re- reiterate uh, there for me to reiterate what's been said. But ultimately, I don't think it's that big of a deal either way in terms of business. Now, if Extreme Rules ends up doing like 350 or 400 thousand domestic buys, or uh, you know, a, a large margin more than your average B show or what's defined as a B show, and then SummerSlam or whatever Brock Lesnar's next match is does substantially less, I think there's a point to be made. But I don't think, uh, but you know, Lesnar is, is him putting over two or three of WWE's top stars on his way to WrestleMania next year really going to affect that buy rate that much? I mean, when you have hypothetically Lesnar, Rock, Undertaker, Cena, Punk, Austin potentially in another world title match, I don't think so. I honestly feel that winners and losers don't affect business that much. In my opinion, people pay for good matches and satisfying finishes in 2012. What sells me on a match is if something feels fresh, if I think two guys will mesh well to create a match, I want to see and give me a good finish. Or in the case of Rude Storm, which I think is kind of similar, a conclusion. You know, and in that case, they are prolonging the inevitable again in theory for, what, six months from now? I just saw Rude and Storm have a blow-off type 25-minute cage match. Why in the world would I want to see that again for the next two years, let alone within the next six months? And in theory, I'm buying Bound for Glory to see the crowning achievement of James uh, James Stone finally winning the belt. But, like, I don't care, you know, because I don't want to see that match. And I know that line of thinking is a bit flawed in the bigger scheme of things, personal taste aside. But that's why, ultimately, I don't think it really affects business that much. Especially when, you know, when you talked about, you know, there being an outside audience. But the pay-per-view audience, buying audience for wrestling is just so damn thin. So, you know, and putting aside the absolutely ludicrous pay-per-view prices. So just have great shows, and I'm happy. Extreme Rules, great show. I can't wait to buy it on DVD and watch it again for years to come. So I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. I actually feel like it probably was actually a stronger overall show than Money in the Bank. And it was essentially, I mean, when you uh, take out the two squashes, it was essentially a six-match show. So, and once again, WWE with the six-match shows format delivering. Shocking. 
it always it always seems to work that way. And yeah, I mean, I think with Money in the Bank, I mean, it's like two very different types of shows. I think if Lesnar, because initially Lesnar going over or going under really aggravated me to the point where I was like, okay, if Lesnar won this match, I would have put this show on par with Money in the Bank. And usually those things never sway my opinion, as I just said. You know, winners and losers, I don't care. If it's a great match, it's a great match. And this was. And I thought Cena going over made sense of the context of the match. Now some of the things after maybe didn't necessarily make any sense, and they never followed follow it up that well. They never follow anything up that well, so that's just be expected. So that's why on any standalone night, it's like, I mean, that's what makes Money in the Bank so great. When I look at Cena and Punk, I mean, obviously it was an incredible main event, and but like that night, everything was so perfect, even if like they fucked it up, you know, two weeks later. So you just that's how you have to look at everything with the WWE, you know. So that was the case here as well. Or perhaps they were actually trying, by having Cena win, they were trying to say that he's the equivalent of All-Star over Raymer Cain Velasquez. And Cena has uh, now made Brock on a three watch, uh, three watches in a row because of that. Like, I think Michael Cole knows who either of those guys are. <laughs> I really don't think so, unfortunately. <laughs> I really don't think he has any shot in the world of knowing who they are. But... You know, and perhaps either that or Vince just wants to spend five million dollars to put UFC in their place. <laughs> so, and how about uh, comparing this show briefly to uh, Extreme Rules last year, which I actually think, uh, and I know you agree with the sentiment that it was a uh, quite an underrated show that a lot of people sleep on. Oh, I last year I I won't I won't stop commenting that show. I mean, it's just like I feel bad for it because of the fact that. Well, for one, it went up against essentially the biggest UFC of the year that weekend, uh, uh, 129. And then not to mention the fact that a lot of the positivity about that show was made nullified in a matter of hours because of the fact that Christian lost the title, which was one of the main positives of that show. But I really feel like this show may have overall surpassed it just on account of the top three matches and then having Kane Orton as well deliver. Really, last year's show, I really like a lot. I ended up liking that one significantly more than Mania last year. I mean, between uh, Punk, Orton, uh, Delivering the Goods, you had a very fun and unique table match in Kofi and Sheamus. Pat Mysterio and Cody Delivering the Goods as well. Uh, Christian I, think, I think always the great barometer for if, like, at least for me, is if I buy the DVD. And last year, uh, putting aside the events that I attend, which I always buy DVDs for, the only shows that I bought on DVD were Extreme Rules and Money in the Bay. So, Right, exactly. And I actually want to watch it again. You know, and there, I think there was a long... And this is why I am very fond of kind of this era of WWE at the moment, is that, like, I'm actually seeing shows right now that I want to watch again. You know, mm-hmm. there was a period of time, I feel like, from, like, 05 to, like, 08, 09, maybe even in 10, like a four- or five-year period where legitimately... I would never want to watch those shows ever again. Yeah, I would so. take, like, a very rare exception, like, every now and then. Like, Vengeance 05, as an example, comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. 05 was probably a little early. It was more like 07 to 09-ish. Yeah, yeah, I would be, I'd agree with that. But really, I mean, those shows I thought were very strong. It, it, it's sort of funny, too, because I've talked about now, I mean, that's, like, second year in a row now where I felt... Uh, the backlash, oh, it's not, I almost call it backlash, the, uh, the follow-up pay-per-view to WrestleMania is delivered a bit stronger to WrestleMania uh, than WrestleMania did. And it sort of, you know, it, make, it almost makes me want to say that wherever uh, that show is, I hope independent companies decide to run to it, because if they do, then I could end up in a situation like this year and will want to attend it again. Yeah, so. yeah. and I mean, in a logical, and I know this has been said before, in a logical sense, I'm fine when WrestleMania, like when, if Extreme Rules, like, I think the idea that it's a stipulation show kind of, like, describe it, but compared to the WrestleMania matches, because WrestleMania is obviously the show of the year, but then they have to do everything again the next month, but then it's like, it's like WrestleMania ultimately kind of turns out to be a filler show, unless it's Triple H and Undertaker and Rock, who obviously aren't going to be wrestling, you know, right. regularly. Right. So then yeah, they have all the leftovers, and the matches are usually better. Yep, yeah, they have to get in all their fluff and uh, promotion for WrestleMania, and then uh, the month, uh, the following month, it's like, okay, well, now all the fluff's all the way, time to have a great wrestling show. It's been proven time and time again. I mean, really, ever since Backlash 2000, I feel, it's been very notable. Absolutely. And uh, moving forward to the WWE, before we move on to this weekend's pay-per-views, uh, over the limit... Uh, 
which there are two particular matches that I'm very excited for right now that uh, we briefly mentioned before. And uh, But before we talk about those, John Cena and John Laurinaitis, to get that out of the way, uh, I don't know how you feel about that match. I guess initially they were like going to have Tensai get in there, but then they're not feeling comfortable at it. So maybe I feel like he's still going to get involved in I feel like in some senses the match might not even happen. I feel like something might happen the week of or even at the pay-per-view itself. And with two strong world title matches, I feel like, you know, it's going to be oh. fine, whatever they do. Oh, well, come on now. You have two guys in there that have essentially been in five-star matches in the past. So clearly, they're going to deliver a five-star match here. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't really know what to expect besides potentially uh, uh, impact style shenanigans in the sense of perhaps lots of interference and lots of wackiness. And I do have to say, I mean, although I would view it as very, very poor if Laurinaitis actually pins Cena, I think I will laugh myself at the heart attack potentially because it's just sort of like <laughs> you have uh, uh, the rock pin, uh, Cena, uh, on the two pay-per-views ago, you had the Uf- former UFC heavyweight champion lose him, and then here you go, you got John Laurinaitis getting the big W over Cena. I will, like, really just cackle with laughter from the, that possibility. And then and then John Cena's losing streak continues. Yep, exactly. And it's only, yep. only win will have been over Brock Lesnar. Yep. <laughs> Which will make it, obviously, look much worse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and then, of course, uh, you know, as I noted, uh, thankfully there are going to be two uh, incredibly appealing-looking matches. Uh, first, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, which is obviously the internet dream match. Um, they've had a series of matches this year, actually, and on TV that were all like really fun. And actually, I think each match—I don't recall them that well—but seemed to, if I recall correctly, tell like a good story from one to the other. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, this, you know, this is going to be a case where they're coming into the pay-per-view and I assume they're just going to get like 20 or 25 minutes and they're going to get to do whatever they want. So this should be really good at the very least. Yeah. It's essentially in the same, uh, I mean, you know, I mentioned the idea of Orton and Christian last year for what, uh, um, I hope Ryan and Punk may turn into, but it's, right. uh, it's sort of funny considering last year, Christian and Orton and over the limit on a very a particularly terrible show ended up having uh, one of the top matches for WWE last year. Yeah, Agree entirely. I thought that was saying, the match they had. Yeah, exactly. So, not saying that this show will reach that quality of badness, but and it's in the same sense where it could deliver in the same sense that Orton and Christian did last year, where they'll just go out there and have all the time in the world and then deliver a very high caliber match. And I'm just sort of hoping that it's not a one-off. I mean, that's really all I can say. And then what was initially uh, Alberto Del Rio and Sheamus was changed to a four-way on Raw tonight, uh, incorporating Randy Orton and Chris Jericho. And when I heard this, and I actually read it first, um, I can't even express in words my excitement. Uh, It's really these, like, fatal four-ways that get thrown onto these pay-per-views, especially, like, the ones for like world titles because there's more importance put on them. So they're always going to get time. And in the case of this one, it's kind of just a match. So they're probably not going to mess with it at all. Um, and I know we made the comparison before, but sometimes when they do this, it's like these matches are just magic. And like, or this one certainly with these four names has the capability. And I mean, I'm such a huge fan of all four guys, obviously. Uh, and we made the comparison to backlash 2007, uh, seven, right. four way. So mm-hmm. yes, I mean, very excited for this match. Yeah, I mean, and like, because uh, really, I know they've had one match since then, but really, ever since the Rumble, I've been wanting to see Sheamus and Jericho again in like a, another higher capacity, and this will give the opportunity for that. Uh, get an opportunity for uh, Del Rio and Orton. Uh, I mean, really, a lot of great pairings in this match. Not really, not one that I would say is bad. So, I mean, really, just hoping that uh, for that one, they just decide to let it go, uh, go all out. And then you get two very strong world title matches, which really, I mean, uh, would be a very continuing trending topic in the last pay-per-view, you know, in terms of uh, booking world title matches to deliver on the show. One thing that I do find very sort of uh, ironic that I've thought about is uh, 
in the sense of if Laurinaitis and Cena is actually the main event, that would mean that out of all five WWE pay-per-views this year, that would mean that not one of them has actually had a world title match. Fun fact. Granted, granted, in uh, at least three of the four of those past uh, four, the the right all the matches that did main event should have main evented, but at Elimination Chamber with Cena and Kane, that was definitely not the case. So, just random observation that I had. <laughs>